So anyway, May 21st came and went in the middle of our project, and we're all still here. Even though Harold Camping promised that the rapture would happen on May 21st. He was adamant about it because he predicted it in 1994 and it didn't happen. And he told everybody, this time I'm not getting it wrong. This time I'm sure. This time it's going to happen. You can mark my words, it's going to happen. May 21st came and went and nothing happened. Alright? And now the latest is he's saying that May 21st was a spiritual day of judgment. In other words... Nobody can come to Christ now. If you're a Christian, good for you. If you're not, too late. Now you just get to experience tribulation until October 21st, when then we're really going to see it all go. Okay? So, and what's going to happen on October 22nd? Another weird excuse, right? Another bizarre interpretation. Another weird teaching. And I wanted to talk about teaching today, and that was a good illustration of teachers that are off the mark. Kenneth Copeland tells you you should all be millionaires. And in fact, if you're not, then God probably doesn't like you very much. Or maybe you're a little too sinful, or you don't have enough faith. Okay? Joel Steen, and I don't mean to step on any toes, he's very likable. Uh, but he definitely says it's all about you. Most of his books have you in the title. And sin isn't really that big of a deal. That's not the main issue that God's concerned with, right? Uh, Rob Bell says hell isn't a big issue. How many of you guys have heard of this new book that just came out? Love Wins. And I think all these people, what they're trying to do is they're trying to teach what people want to hear. Does that make sense? And when you're teaching, that's always going to be a tendency for you and for me to say what's popular. Because how many of you like not being liked? Right? Now, part of confronting the fear of teaching and speaking, see, speaking on its own is in the top two or three fears across the board in every survey that's done. Public speaking is one of the top fears for most people. Alright? But then, once you're a Christian, if you're talking about speaking and teaching, there's a whole new level of fear, and that's teaching and getting it wrong, and being kind of humiliated, or leading somebody astray. Does that make sense? So it's almost like there's even more fear for you in teaching God's Word. First of all, there's a fear of speaking publicly, and second of all, there's a fear of not speaking what's correct or speaking what's correct and then not being liked. It's almost like no matter how you cut it, something's going to go wrong when you're teaching God's Word. So it makes sense to me that that would be a source of anxiety and fear for a lot of people. Now, for all those guys that I mentioned before, there are great answers to everything they're bringing up, and a lot of their arguments are extremely shallow, right? Some of the prosperity preachers, I just, this one always just makes me laugh. They say, well, Jesus, we know he was filthy rich because he rode on a donkey. And in those days, the rich people rode donkeys. The poor people were too poor to ride a donkey. They had to eat them. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If you were poor, you would not eat it. That'd be destroying your livelihood. It's like, that kind of reasoning is beyond insane, right? Now, if you're teaching God's Word, you don't have to fall into either category, right? You don't have to fall into the category that says, I'm just going to teach whatever everybody wants me to say. And you don't have to fall into the category of, I'm not going to speak at all because I'm scared to do it. My hope for you, and that's why I'm doing this talk, is that you would learn how to teach God's Word as we have it, with authority, with confidence, with boldness, full of God's truth, not your own opinions, in a way that's going to help the people around you grow. Okay? You guys think you can all get there? I think so. It's kind of scary, though. So what is teaching, what, do you, what scares you about teaching? Anybody want to say something? Not 
like <clears throat> not saying the right things or you think you might say the wrong thing, especially in scripture. Yeah, not saying the right thing, you might yeah. say the wrong thing. Okay. Uh, I think forming arguments and like, yeah. Forming arguments? I think for me it's just like fear of like not elaborating too much on it. Not elaborating? Yeah. Like you'll just share something but not explain it? Yeah. Um, being able to make people think critically about it. Uh-huh. So you're afraid that you won't help them think well? Yeah. Like you won't, okay. Pulling scripture out of context. Pulling scripture out of context, uh-huh. I saw, this is one of my favorites too, saw one once where a ministry was saying, send us $20. And we will pray for you, and then God will evaporate your mortgage. Your mortgage will go away, okay? And they said, we have a verse to support it. And it was from 1 Samuel. And it said, and the king, dot, 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 will, dot, 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 make your house, dot, 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 free. And the king will make your house free. <laughs> so you send me $20, and I'll pray, and the king will make your house free. Except they're talking about, I mean, the passage comes from David and Goliath, and Saul said, if anybody will go kill Goliath, I'll make his house free, <laughs> okay? I'll free his people from slavery. I will give him land and a house. Okay, not the context at all, right? It's exactly what you're saying. It had nothing to do with your mortgage today. Okay, but Christian ministries were getting a lot of people to give a lot of money because of this slaughtering of that verse. Okay, anybody else? Somewhere? Not making sense. Not making sense? It comes out wrong? Okay. Not knowing the answers. What do I have to teach anyone? Who am I? Who am I? Anything else? Okay, have you ever been asked? Oh wait, what was that? Trying? Oh, um, <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, like teaching something, even if it's true, just like somebody <laughs> misunderstanding it and just going the wrong way. Yeah, that that happens. That happens. I think with that, you have to have good boundaries, and you have to realize somebody might take it wrong and go the wrong way. I have a good story about that, and I'm not gonna get too much into stories. But I spoke on sex at a men's retreat, and I brought two boys of a friend and supporter of ours who had died. They were young boys, like preteen, And they came to this men's retreat. Kyle was there, Russ was there. And we talked on um, money, power, and sex. Those were the three things we talked on from a godly perspective. It was a great retreat. Lots of guys came. And I talked on sex and a godly perspective on sex. And it, it was a really, uh, I think, good talk. And it was especially good for somebody their age before they start getting hit with a lot of the temptations of this world. And so I get in the car to drive home, and I said, so what, do you guys, what did you guys think of the retreat? And the younger one, he's 10, he goes, I learned that sex is really, really good. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh-oh. He, he missed it. He's going to go the wrong way with what I said. But then he clarified. And he said, in the context that God made it in, in marriage. And that is what we're waiting for. I was going, shoo! <laughs> I'm so glad he got that right. Okay? Okay, now, if, how many of you guys have ever been asked to teach? Maybe a crew or somewhere else? A lot of you have, right? How many of you kind of debated internally whether you should take that opportunity? Most of you, right? Okay, you're going to have that temptation for the rest of your life, as with any fear. Should I do this or not? And what we're talking about this week is you need to walk through the fear. You need to get to the point where you say, I have the fear, right? But it's false evidence appearing real, like Kyle shared. All these things are false evidences, right? Sometimes they might happen, but that doesn't, like, somebody could take what you say wrong. More often than not, that's not going to happen, though. It's a false evidence. And even if it does happen, you can trust the Holy Spirit in that person to correct them, right? You can trust the Holy Spirit in that person to work on that issue over time, right? 
1 Corinthians 4, 7 through 8 basically says that everything we get, we, everything we have, we've received. Okay? Now, all that you have to share, you've received from God. Does that make sense? You're not going to just share anything from your own opinions, hopefully. You are supposed to be sharing with others what you've already received from God. And He is building into each one of you the capacity to encourage others and to teach others. And there are going to be some qualifiers and some warnings and all that. We'll get into all that today. <clears throat> I wanted to start, though, by saying God's worked in your life and prepared you to encourage others and to share with others and to teach others at different levels. Whether that's as a mom teaching your kids, right? Or whether that's as Billy Graham or somebody like that teaching hundreds of thousands. I saw your hands going up uh, on the different end of that spectrum, right? Some people wanted to kind of have like a backseat quieter approach. Some people want to be out in front of hundreds of thousands. Whatever you find yourself doing, you're going to be teaching in some way, right? You're going to be teaching in some way. So we want to talk about how to do that right. So where does your confidence, adequacy, and authority come from? What do you guys think? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. God himself living in you, speaking his words through you, that's your confidence. If I had to just trust me to get up and talk, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I need to trust him in me to share with others. <clears throat> going back to that talk at First B a couple, about a month ago or something like that, I had prepared notes for that talk, and the Tuesday before the Sunday that I was supposed to share, clear as day, God changed everything. Not just like a little bit of the direction. I mean the entire direction. And it was to a topic that I've never, ever, 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 ever spoken on before. And it also seemed a little bit like people could get this wrong, kind of like Trent was saying. People might not get what I'm saying, right? I was terrified to share that message. I put a lot of time into it. I really tried to make it biblical. I tried carefully to address questions that I thought might come up. But still, I was pretty terrified that morning that this is going to be a bomb, okay? And it wasn't. It really impacted a lot of people. I had somebody at our last men's retreat come up to me and say, Nate, before you did that talk, because he had been there at the first beat, he goes, did you know for sure that it was going to be as awesome as it was? And I told him, are you kidding me? I thought, I would, I thought it was going to be the biggest bomb that's ever bombed. I thought it was going to be terrible, right? But I had to trust God. I had to trust the Holy Spirit in me to be able to share. Does that make sense? So your confidence, your authority, your boldness, you have to get them from God. Not just from your own mentality, not just from your own emotions, not from any of that, but strictly from God. God, I'm relying on you. Like with evangelism, I'm taking the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and then trusting the results to God. That's the way it's got to be. Okay, so our confidence, our adequacy, our authority come from Him. Write down 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. It says that we're not competent in ourselves, but our competence comes from Him. Alright? 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. And it's talking specifically about ministry. He's the one that makes us competent to share the gospel, to teach, to do what we would call ministry. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Do you guys remember what this says? Go to all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So when we talk about the Great Commission, what question did Leah ask you the other day? Whose responsibility is the Great Commission? Mine. Mine. Now, that involves evangelism, that involves discipleship, and right there, 
in black and white and involves teaching. So if you think the Great Commission is your responsibility, then I want to encourage you and challenge you to develop in this area of teaching God's Word. We're going to get into how you can do that and things to watch out for. Okay, God's Word is so valuable, and we need to keep our teaching focused on His Word. Let's read 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 4, 3. You can turn there with me. I'm not, ask, I'm not going to ask you to turn to that many different passages today, but we will turn to this one. 2 Timothy 3.16 is where we're going to turn. Thank you. Anybody, anybody want to read it really loudly? <clears throat> but you have to le- read it loud. He, he has, he's shot his hand. I'll let you take the next one. Okay. Um, There'll be two that you guys can read. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Keep going through 4.3. Uh, uh, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not, will not put up <coughs> the sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires. They will, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Awesome. So, <clears throat> what is our source for everything we teach, according to this passage? God's Word, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. God inspired every word of it, right? And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Across the board, anything that has to do with teaching, this is what's useful. Alright? And then he says, what? To Timothy, preach God's Word. It's, this is a command. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, with careful instruction. Again, what kind of what kind of teaching is careful instruction, do you think? It's not fly by the seat of my pants teaching. Right? I'm gonna be careful in instructing others. Not just gonna uh, just have no preparation. We'll get into some about the preparation in a minute. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Isn't that interesting? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to say, or want to hear. Going back to the beginning, I really don't like hell. How many of you guys like hell? How many of you guys think, man, hell is awesome? I'm so glad people are going there for eternity. Does anybody think that? Okay, now you're in good company, because neither does God, right? God says he's not willing that any would perish, and he says that he wants all men to come to repentance. So you're in real good company. Now, the really wrong thing to do is to say, I don't like hell, so it must not be real, because of course I don't like it. I don't like cancer, and it's very real, right? I don't like 25,000 kids a day dying of starvation, but it's a real fact, right? So there's a lot that I don't like that's very real. And instead of just pretending like what I don't like isn't there, what if I just said, well, 25,000 kids dying of starvation? I don't believe that's true, because I don't like it. That'd be absurd. Instead of just saying, I don't like it, so I'm not going to do anything about it, I need to do something about it to change what I don't like. Right? So maybe that involves sponsoring a kid that needs food. We sponsor a young boy in, in 
Gaza, a Palestinian boy. And, and we're hoping that he comes to know Christ because of that. But he also needs our physical help. He needs our money so that he can survive. Okay? So when you look at teachers that mold their teaching to what people like or dislike, that's the worst thing you can do. It's crazy. You wouldn't do that with anything else in life. And that's what Paul is warning Timothy about here. In the last days, there are going to be a lot of those teachers. There are going to be a lot of Rob Bells saying, there is no hell because people don't like hell. There are going to be a lot of Kenneth Copelands that are saying, you like to be rich? Well, who doesn't? Well, of course God wants you to be rich. And just a note, some of you out of this group are going to be rich. I promise you that in this life. And in fact, as Americans, you already are right, compared to the rest of the world. Even if you're college students, you're already in like the top 3% of the richest people in the world, top 5 maybe. But anyway... If you have wealth, scripturally, you have the gift of giving. You can take that by faith. Because scripture tells us that if you have the gift of giving, to give with liberality. In other words, you have the capacity to give. So if you have wealth or the capacity to give, you can trust by faith that you should be giving. Right? A whole lot. And it's always awesome to see Christians doing that. Getting back to what we're talking about, the basis here is God's word and then... I'm commanded, I need to be teaching God's word. And I need to be teaching it right, not just according to what people want to hear. And in your lifetimes, people are going to say, Alex Pena, I don't like hell, so you better preach something that I like. doesn't offend me. On campus, you're going to hear this. I spoke at a church in Arkansas once. shouldn't even say that name. Where I challenged them extremely hard. It was the most awkward thing I've ever heard in my life. It was... It, it was dead silent like you've never heard in that audience. And um, I knew it was going to challenge where they were at hard. And at the time, they supported us, and they kept supporting us shortly after that. And But I'm not, they're not who I have to answer to. God is, right? And I'm going to go to God's Word and teach God's Word, even if it doesn't sit well with people. I want to do that in a kind way. I want to do that in a nice way, but I have to go to his word. Okay, some things about God's word. Deuteronomy 30, 14. You can just scribble down these references if you want, or you can get them from me later. I talk usually pretty fast. We had a lot of stuff. Deuteronomy 30, 14. It says the word is in your heart and in your mouth. And I want to encourage you guys, love God's word and speak God's word. Make sure it's in your heart and it's in your mouth. God's word should be overflowing. We'll close out with that passage too with the overflowing passage. Mark 12, 30, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Right? I need to love God and his word with all those things. The word was God, John 1, 1, right? I need to love God's word just like I love him. It's been said that we only respect God as much as we respect his word. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us not to go beyond what is written. Okay? So, was Harold Camping going beyond what was written with this prediction? Matthew 24, 36, 42, 44. Nobody knows the day or the hour. No, I'm just saying. Okay, you guys don't have to write that down. Those all say, nobody knows the day or the hour. Matthew, 20, okay, Matthew 24, 36, 42, 44. No one knows the day or the hour. So what do we say when somebody says, hey, guys, guess what? I know the day and the hour. <laughs> Wait a minute. Scripture says that's not true. Oh. You're wrong. Imagine that. Who would have guessed, right? Okay, don't go beyond what was written. That's what he was doing there. And he is now eating humble pie, <laughs> right? He, he is now trying to wiggle out of that. What was the Corinthians reference? The okay, the 1 Corinthians 4.6. We're not going beyond what is written. All right? God's word sustains us. 
Matthew 4, 4 says that God's word is spiritual food, just as important as real food. I don't go a day without breakfast, lunch, or dinner unless it's very intentional. And I remember every meal. I wish I could be eating right now, but I'm choosing to fast, right? Okay? What if I love God's word that way? Right? Where I said, I can't go a day. Much, I can't go a few hours without God's word. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many. See, God's word is nourishing to me, and when I'm loving it and speaking it, I'll be nourishing others as well. <coughs> Isn't that good? So God's word sustains us. God's word guides us. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Remember that, guys? See, God's word is guiding me. In Psalm 119.130, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Right? So, it is, God's Word is guiding you, and then as you speak it and teach it, it'll guide others as well. Because a lot of people around you need a voice of reason, and they need a voice that's committed to truth. Right? To lead them. God's Word keeps us from sinning. James 1, 14-15 says that sin starts in my mind. This is kind of a neat progression. You might write these references about sin down. James 1, 14-15 says sin starts with desire, or it starts with a desire that I have in my mind, I'm thinking I desire that, right? And then it goes to temptation, then it goes to sin, then it goes to death. So, just a side note, I beat temptation at the level of desire. I beat sin at the level of desire, right? If sin starts with my thinking and desires, then I don't beat it by stopping the action or by stopping the temptation. I beat it by changing the desires, right? Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So you really want to beat sin? You should focus a lot more on your Savior than on the sin and let Him change your desires from the inside out. And temptation will have nothing to work with. Right? Temptation will have... So that's kind of a little bit off track. Isaiah 55, 8-9 says that our thoughts and our ways are different than His thoughts and ways. So if I want to have victory over sin, I need to incorporate God's Word into my thinking. Because if I think like Jesus, I'm going to act like Jesus. Does that make sense? That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. As your mind is transformed from sinful, selfish, me-oriented mind to truth, Bible, God-oriented mind, I'll see my life transformed as well. It'll be renewed as my mind is transformed to think in line with His Word. That's why Psalm 119, says, If I hide God's Word in my heart, I won't sin against God. See, as I'm putting his words in my mind, as I'm putting it in my heart, as I'm memorizing scripture, as I'm studying scripture, as I'm reading scripture, as I'm sharing scripture, and we'll get to this in a minute, but as I'm applying scripture, my mind gets transformed, and I start to act a whole lot more like Jesus. It's a life process, but it, it will happen. So God's word sustains us, guides us, and keeps us from sinning. A whole lot more as well. My opinion does not matter. I really want you guys to get that. When you teach, your opinion is irrelevant. Okay? I really try when I speak publicly to separate my opinion from Scripture. There are certain things that I really, 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 really believe strongly. One of those is the crowns that it talked about in the Bama last night. I have a very, very, very um, worked out concept of what I think that really is. And I think it's based strongly on Scripture. But it's still opinion. And so I won't share it publicly. And if I do, I'm going to say very clearly, this is what I think. But Scripture leaves some ambiguity there. With our opinion, we need to treat it as nothing more than an opinion. And I need to base everything on God's Word. 
and treat that as the truth that it really is, okay? We shouldn't look for nuggets. How many of you guys have ever thought, I'm going to find a nugget in Scripture? It's like going into Fort Knox and saying, I sure hope I find a nugget today. Well, excuse me, <laughs> the whole thing is rooms of gold, you know? I don't need a nugget, I need the whole thing. Does that make sense? And what happens is a lot of times people look for nuggets, like some neat, exciting thing that nobody's ever shared before that I get to share. And I used to be there, and then God clearly challenged my thinking by revealing to me the reality that he didn't wait 2,000 years of church history so that Nate could show up and start telling people what was going on. <laughs> How arrogant. God's word has been there for 2,000 years. I don't need to find a new little nugget. I just need to know and be committed to his word and to sharing that right as it is. Right? Not finding some little nugget, but just sharing God's word in its entirety and in its context and in its fullness so that God's word can change people. Right? So, here are a few things that I'm sure you've heard, and I get the sense that I might be starting to go a bit long here, so I'll say these fast. I hear these all the time in church, and they drive me up a wall. Okay? Because it has nothing to do with scripture. And people, even leaders, even pastors, repeat these things. And it, it's just unreal to me. Where did that come from? It's not in scripture anywhere. And actually has disastrous consequences. Because ideas have consequences. You guys know that. Right? I forget who it was. He said ideas have consequences and bad ideas have bad consequences. That's kind of a simple way to think about it. Hitler's ideas had very bad consequences. Right? It's the same in the church. If we have a wrong idea coming from the front, or if you're teaching and you're purporting or teaching a wrong little nugget, that can have disastrous consequences in somebody's life. Have you ever heard somebody say, God filled this place? <clears throat> okay, God doesn't fill places. God fills people, <laughs> right, with his Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I hear people all the time saying, God, rain down, rain down. Okay, Holy Spirit, rain down. No, the Holy Spirit is not a meteorological event. <laughs> he, he is in my life. There's, there's no waiting for him to show up. He's here. Now, am I going to step out or am I going to live in sin? That's the issue, right? It's not like, come on, God, rain down. He needs to rain down. Come on, Holy Spirit, rain down. No, he, he's ready to go. <laughs> Who was it? Kyle said this. The issue isn't whether or not God will show up. It's whether or not we'll show up. <laughs> That's the issue here. But this stuff gets repeated from the pulpit and a lot of times people start to think, well, if nothing's happening, it's because God hasn't rained down yet. <laughs> nothing's happening, it's because the Holy Spirit hasn't showed up yet. When in reality, we as Christians need to realize nothing's happening because we're not doing anything. Because we're being disobedient to what His Word told us already. Does that make sense? So when I teach, I want to teach God's Word so that people can apply it and see God show up. Right? So some of these statements, they can get us way off track. Have you ever heard, put a fleece out and see what God says? Gideon was disobeying God. God said, do this. Gideon wiggled out of it and said, I'm going to put a fleece out. Okay, God had mercy and answered him with his fleece, even though he's being disobedient, putting the Lord as God to the test. And then God answered him. And then he still in disbelief and unbelief said, do it again, God. And God did it again. Luckily, God had tons of mercy on Gideon. But that's not the way we encounter God's will. But I hear it all the time from Christians and in church. Raise your hand if you need a touch from God. Aren't you glad to be in the house of God? Wait, doesn't scripture say and acts that God doesn't live and buildings built by human hands, right? But you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not the house of God. This is a stinking building. <laughs> a bunch of houses of God happen to be meeting it, you know? The, the, right? But the second I start thinking there's something special about those four walls, that's the house of God. 
I just got way off track. What's that? Did you mention a verse about that? In Acts, where am I getting? It's in four, I think. Acts chapter four. It says, "It says God does not live in, in buildings built by human hands." Okay. Anyway, we can get to that later. Just a few things. I need more of God. I need a double portion. I heard this my whole life. You got all God. At salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you. <clears throat> look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 6, 19. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at, I mean, you can go on and on. I'm sorry, guys. Look at John 7, 37 through 39 for a real strong, right from Christ's mouth, description of when you get the Holy Spirit. As soon as you believe in him, he gives you his Holy Spirit. I'm not going to get more. A lot of people that believe that, they're going back to the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. He'd come on you, he'd leave you, he'd come on you, he'd leave you. That's why David in Psalm 51 prayed, like, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? Because the Holy Spirit didn't yet indwell people. But now he does. Right? So you can't get more or less of the Holy Spirit. You get more or less obedience to him. Does that make sense? Yeah, Chelsea. Okay, so I'm thinking of the song mm -hmm. by Kim Walker. It's called, Can I Have More of You? It's like a really passionate song. And... Like, as much as I'm totally understanding what you're saying, I'm wondering if, like, we do this because we don't really know how else to explain it. Maybe, again, mm -hmm. this just comes down to our ignorance. But it's like, I, I feel in that song, it's like I totally understand yeah. her passion and what's driving it. Mm -hmm. It's like maybe we're just asking God for it in the wrong way. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And this is where semantics are important. Your teaching is important to get this right. If you said, I want to experience God more in my life, amen. All of us are there. And, and I'm not nearly where I want to be in experiencing, in, in experiencing him on a daily basis. But that's not his fault. I don't need to say, see, sometimes when I say, God, I want more of you, that's implying, like, God, you're the one that's not showing up. When in reality, I want David's heart that says, I've sought you with everything, God. And I know I can't say that with a clear conscience. And so I think when I pray, I don't need to say, God, I want you to give me more of you. I want to say, God, destroy my sin so I can experience you more today than ever before. Give me the self-control to be diligent about pursuing you today more than I ever have before. Does that make sense? So I think her heart of experiencing God more is, is what we should all have. Right? But I think when we teach people to be careful with how we do that, can I'm going to re- Yeah. Could you explain the difference? Okay, um, the, Okay. so when we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, John 7, 37 through 39, this is great on that. Um, Jesus clearly describes what's going on there. There are a lot of other passages. The, God himself comes to live in you when you put your trust in him. Right? You can't change that. He, the God of the universe is in you as a seal until the day of Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians 1. In other words, until, until you're standing before him for that throne of judgment, the famous seat of Christ that we saw last night, the Holy Spirit's there. That's a beautiful promise that we have in God's Word. Now, I can't get more of him. I can't get less of him. I'd be like chopping up God, which I can't do. He's God. <laughs> but every day, I can choose whether, I'm not gonna, whether or not I'm going to be filled with him or, or whether I'm going to do things my way. God, am I going to let you empower me to live Christ's life? Like Paul talked about in Galatians 2.20, the life I live now, I don't. It's not me. It's him living through me. Is that what I'm going to live? Or am, am I going to live me living through me? I have that choice every single day. Right? That choice has nothing to do with whether or not the Holy Spirit's in me. The choice has everything to do with whether or not I'm going to be obedient to the Holy Spirit that's living inside me. Okay. 
So we need to understand God's word. There are a lot more here. Worship is singing. Fellowship is just hanging out. Um, bring your friends to church instead of share it with your friends that desperately need to hear the gospel. You know, how many of you, honestly, if I said, you guys, there's a gay pride parade down in Durango today. You want to go? A what? You'd be like, not really. <laughs> Maybe if I said for ministry, you might be inclined to go. But if I just said, let's just go and participate. You'd say, that doesn't sound comfortable. What are they? I'm going to look awkward. I don't even agree with them. Right? You're not going to want... Well, a lot of times when you ask a non-Christian to come to church, that's what they're thinking. I'm not a Christian. What are they going to think of me? I'm going to be the one that sticks out. You know? And so, I mean, that's like the most absurd way to share Christ you can imagine. If somebody is ready to take that step, by all means, bring them to church, you know? But I think we need to be sharing with our friends where they're at. Not, help, not forcing them to take this gigantic step that they're not ready to take, you know? It's like being American and not speaking Chinese and being plopped in Beijing. You're going to be clueless, right? Okay, so we need to start encouraging people from Scripture. From scripture. Okay, there are a lot more, but we have limited time. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the vision of spirit, soul, joints, and marrow. Okay? The joints and marrow being your physical body. God's Word is alive. God's Word is not passive. When you open God's Word, you're guaranteed to hear from God. When you teach God's Word, the people that are listening are guaranteed to hear from God. Usually when I share, I try to have lots of scripture. Because my opinion doesn't matter, God's word does. And it's amazing to me, so, so many times people come up to me and go, that was so awesome. <laughs> That's because 90% of it was just scripture. <laughs> you would have got just as awesome a message if you would have read it in your Bible this morning. <laughs> you know? But typically a lot of Christians aren't reading their Bible, so when they hear God's word, they can't believe how drawn they are to God's word. When in reality, it's not the speaker, it's God's Word, right? That's what's, doing, that's what's doing the damage in a good way. It's not my presentation, okay? So, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the Word of Truth. Now, as you're sharing the teaching, you want to do your best to correctly handle God's Word. What does that mean, to do your best? What do you think? Pretty simple, right? Do your best. <laughs> is, is, does it mean you do it passively? Right? I, I meet a lot of people, I'm not going to prepare, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit speak through me. That's not doing your best. Lord willing, He shows up and speaks, and He will change hearts. But if I'm going to do my best, that means I'm going to get in God's Word and have something to teach. And then I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to do what He's good at, and that's change hearts. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to put the Holy Spirit in a position of having to clean up my mess, <laughs> right? But I'm going to put him in a position of being able to use Scripture to change lives. See, and I'm going to get to this in a minute. God has one big problem, and I say this sarcastically, because of course he doesn't, and he planned it this way. But he has a big problem, quote unquote, and that's that he's invisible and audible, right? He's not physical, you can't go touch him. Well, at least on our planet at this time, right? Jesus has a physical body right now, and he walked this earth at one point. So God chose you, Jessica, to share him with the people around you. He intends to use your mouth to speak. That's a pretty cool thought. He intends to use your hands to work, right? 
So when I'm not diligent, when I'm not doing my best, as Scripture tells me to do, then I'm just kind of like passively hoping he shows up and I'm not doing my part. He's still going to work in lives. You're kind of irrelevant. Right? The older you get, you realize I'm not a very big deal. <laughs> I might die, and you know what? God is still going to work on this planet. <laughs> and I'm not that important in the whole thing. In fact, we should all say that right now. Say, I'm not that important. I'm not that important. Okay, cool. But once you get that back, you become really important. <laughs> right? Because once you really get that in your head, you realize God can use me. It's not about me, it's about Him. Right? And I'm gonna be I'm gonna let Him use me. I want to encourage you to do your best to present yourself a workman to God. Or a workwoman who's approved, who doesn't need to be ashamed, right? What if you get up in front of a group of people to teach them God's word and all you can say is a couple stories and none of God's word? Well, then you'd have a lot to be ashamed about, right? You just let down a whole audience that was expecting to be taught God's word. I don't ever want to be there. I want to rightly handle his word of truth. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came uh, about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, God's word is God's word, given to us as God's word, right? Now, we need to teach God's word. We need to get to application, okay? Knowledge without application equals deception. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Does that make sense? So if you, you could know the Bible better than any human being alive and not apply it, and you'd probably be more deceived than any Christian alive. See, if I make it all about content and head knowledge, I'm in serious trouble. Now, that's good. 1 Corinthians 8.1 really says that actually makes me proud, too. So it makes you proud and deceived. Who wants to be proud and deceived? None of us. Right? But knowledge with application equals what? Zeal and passion. That's what it says in Romans 10.2. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. See, as I'm serving the Lord, as I'm applying His Word, I'll get passion about God and His Word, right? Romans 12, 11, excuse me, that was Romans 12, 11, not Romans 10, right? In 12. Okay, guys, so knowledge without application equals deception. Knowledge with application equals zeal and passion. So as you're teaching, and I'm going to get to this kind of synopsis in a minute, encourage application. Otherwise, you're kind of passively deceiving people. If you're just teaching without application, you're helping people develop unbelief about God in a lot of ways. What happens when a lot of times people say, you need to go share your faith, you need to go share your faith. It's important to go share your faith. But they never take you out and help you share your faith. Well, you become deceived. You know you're supposed to do something, you don't do it. Scripture says, I'm going to get deceived. I start walking around thinking nobody wants to hear the gospel. Okay? What did Jesus say? Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is ripe. Right? John 12, he says he's drawing every man to himself. So are they interested? Even if they don't know it, even if they think, even if they want to yell at you and call you stupid names. Maybe you went home and got saved that night, who knows? Right? What I'm saying is, the second I'm not applying what I know to be true, I start getting deceived and believing God's very word is not true. Right? And I start coming up with cultural lies to get out of God's word, which is a big mess. So, John 15 says that if you remain in him, he will work through you. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So, he, you're not the one teaching, CJ. You're not the one that's 
You're just an open vessel. You're a, a mouthpiece. You're willing to say, God, you're the one that's got to do it. I'm going to open my mouth by faith, <laughs> take the initiative and power of the Holy Spirit, and trust the results to you. I'm going to say your word and then trust you with the results, right? John 14 talks about how the Holy Spirit will be the one reminding us of what God taught us, right? And um, he's going to be leading us into all truth. He's the one doing this. He's the one helping you teach, right? He's the one that's working in you. So teaching is important. Today, there is a need for biblically sound and solid action and application-oriented teachers like never before in history. Because we've hit that point where 2 Timothy 3, or 4, 3 tells us that people are keeping up for themselves teachers that will say whatever they want to hear. We're there, right? We're there. You name it, you'll find somebody that's teaching it, okay? Um, you name it, and you'll find people teaching it. So now more than ever, we need people that are committed not to a nugget, but to God's word and teaching it as it is. Does that make sense? And that's my challenge to you, is to be that person that's going to teach others also, like it says in 2 Timothy 2.2. Remember what Paul tells Timothy, and Paul really trained Timothy well. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others also. So four generations, Paul, Timothy, reliable men, others also. The goal here for you is to be somewhere in that process, and to be going up in that process, not down. Maybe right now you're the others also, but someday you're going to be the Paul, teaching someone to teach someone to teach someone. Does that make sense? But you're not going to get there until you learn how to teach accurately and solidly today. Does that make sense? I know you want to go into ministry, Tyler, right? Um, so, so there's going to be a process of getting there, of learning to teach today God's Word. And then maybe a couple years from now, you're learning to teach someone else to teach God's Word. And then you're learning to teach someone else how to teach someone else to teach God's Word. Does that make sense? That's multiplication. That's how we're going to win the world. If we can do discipleship, and we'll get there soon, and how to practically do discipleship, you'll leave this place with a firm handle on that, I hope. If we can get there, you know how long it would take two of us to reach the whole world if we just multiplied once a year? And this is possible. I usually meet with anywhere from 12 to 20 students a semester, okay? So the idea of being able to multiply once a year is very possible. If we start with two of us, you know how long it would take to reach and disciple the whole world? Less than 35 years. I mean, we'd see it in our lifetimes, okay? But we're not doing it because we're all looking for nuggets so that we can be the famous guy that came up with a neat nugget, you know? Like, we need to be committed to a process not my own ego. And I hate to say it, but you guys are the... God in you is the answer. Because there are a lot of people out there teaching for their own ego. And hoping to come up with a nugget that's going to excite people or whatever. So the need has never been greater. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to meet that need. And to take that step. To respond like Peter did to Jesus when he said, Feed my sheep if you love me. Do you love Jesus? I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Feed his sheep. Okay? So, who should teach? What are the prerequisites? One would be, um, there's a warning, James 3, 1, right? It says, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, if you're teaching, you better be walking what you're preaching and doing what you're teaching, right? Don't be telling people to share their faith and not sharing your faith. Don't be telling people to walk in purity and then being addicted to porn. Um, we see that stuff. It shames Christ. It kills our message. And it's not good. We're, those people, they're still going to be in heaven. I, Ted Haggard, I believe, will be in heaven, right? 
But I think, for the most part, he has a whole life ahead of him, so I'm not going to judge him. But a lot of what he did in ministry, when he was living this dual life, it's going to be burned up in that fire, right, of 1 Corinthians 3. And he'll be saved, Lord willing, only God knows his heart, I assume he will. But you guys, let's not be those people. Let's not be judged more severely because we're not applying what we ourselves are teaching. 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 10 goes through kind of a laundry list of things that teachers should live up to. Leaders must be above reproach. That means even though I have freedoms to do certain things, I'm going to give those up because God is more important and his ministry is more important, right? And I'm going to live above reproach. I'm not going to, I'm not going to kind of like be sketchy with that stuff. What are your motives? Is it all for His glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31 Am I teaching for God's glory? Is that my motive? Am I being honest? Am I walking in integrity? Am I being vulnerable and real? I'm not trying to make myself seem like I'm perfect and everybody else isn't. Am I developing wisdom? Knowledge plus application. Am I mature and growing in maturity? You can get all this from 1 Corinthians I mean, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 10. Let's actually continue reading. I've got ahead of myself. Leaders must be above reproach, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, sexually pure, able to teach. Again, am I going to do my best to be able to teach? Sincere, good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. Humble and not proud. Gentle and not violent. Peaceful and not argumentative. Content and not greedy. They must not be a recent convert and must avoid the drinking and party scene, Scripture tells us. I'm not saying you can't have a beer. I mean, literally, that's between you and God. Um, and Kyle touched on this before about, you know, I think as a teacher you should never put something there that God's Word doesn't say, right? Does that make sense? Like a lot of times people ask you about, is that a sin? Well, if God's Word doesn't specifically say that's a sin, and if it doesn't violate any of the principles of Scripture, I'm not going to say it's a sin. But you should go to God with that and see where your boundaries are, I think, you know? Uh, but for sure, for sure, for sure, Scripture says to avoid the drinking as in drunkenness and party scene. Those are not good. Um, a leader must have a good reputation, keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, and they must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, they can lead and teach. Okay? All right, guys, handle the Word of God accurately. Walk in the Spirit and let Him teach through me. Now, practically, okay, we're going to get to some practical points, and then we're going to start studying. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. This is the only other verse I'm going to ask you to turn to. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through um, 16. These are some practical pointers. So you guys convinced that there's a need for people to teach and that God wants to use you? You guys convinced of that? Okay, now that you're convinced of that, I hope you all are, I want to give you some practical pointers for how to do that, how to make that happen. Okay, 12 through 16, who wants to belt it out? Well, you did it last time, didn't you? I did. It's all you. <laughs> okay. First Timothy, right? Yeah. Loud and clear. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you teach, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecies spoken to you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. 
Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep your eyes watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right, and God will save you and those who need Paul is challenging teach, 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 and be diligent in these matters so that everyone may see your progress. This is not like, I'm going to teach, kind of. When I get asked to teach, I'll throw something together. You know, we, we have an awesome student that we love, and she's really mature, but one of her talks at a retreat when she was a student, she got here and she said to Leah, I have my whole talk prepared, now I just need to find verses to support what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, that's, that's not how to do a talk. That's not being diligent with these matters, okay? That's not being diligent to teach, right? But she's matured far past that by now. She's awesome. Okay. Um, are you going to devote yourself fully to these things? Right? That's what Paul's challenging Timothy. So be diligent with these matters. Give yourselves entirely to them so that everyone may see your progress. And then watch your life and doctrine, your life and teaching carefully. Watch that they line up. Watch that you're teaching God's word. Watch that you're not getting off track. Be teachable to rebuke. Sometimes somebody might pull you aside and say, that, what you said there, it wasn't legit. You know, you got off from scripture a bit. Well, be teachable and learn and be quick to, to correct that when you are wrong. Okay? Um, 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. This should rock all of our worlds. When I teach, it's not just like a Toastmaster's speech. Okay? I'm speaking the very words of God. I should have a very high level of um, concern about what I say. I should be very diligent with these things. Okay? Now here's kind of the outline format, real practically. Those are some practical verses about teaching. Now here's some practical pointers about how to do it. And you guys are all going to get a chance to do it. A physics professor I used to have, Dr. Norton, put it this way about writing. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. Okay? So basically be clear with what you're sharing. With what you're sharing. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you just told them. Does that make sense? No surprises. You want people to be tracking with you and be on the same page with you. Know what you're going to say and how to put it together. Feel equipped and able, and that comes from trusting God in you. right? And then do it. Do it. Actually just take the initiative and do it. When you share, I want to encourage you to be bold, loud, and confident right from the start. In fact, usually when I speak, I try to make the first words out of my mouth louder than I feel comfortable being, stronger than I feel comfortable being. I try to almost get up and yell right from the start, because I know that, for me, will set the tone for the rest of the talk. Does that make sense? I try to have a good attitude, smile, and be loud, bold, and confident as much as I can, right at the start. And I think that will carry through the rest of your talk, because you just establish kind of your, um, your comfort level with that talk. Does that make sense? So when you get up, don't be obnoxious, but try to be bold from the start. If you get up and you think, I'm going to kind of like just dabble into boldness in, in a talk, it's not going to happen, right? If you start out really quiet and I'm not sure if I'm secure, it'll just get worse throughout a talk. As you get feedback from your audience, is people start to zone out, you know, and all that. So start bold, loud, and confident with a good attitude. Start with something that's attention-getting to the best of your abilities. Don't be obnoxious there either, okay? Try to get people's attention. Today, when I started talking, I wanted to bring up a relevant point that would get your attention. And that's this whole doomsday prophecy that was just this week. 
it's on everybody's minds, everybody's talking about it, it relates to what we're talking about, it'll get your attention. Does that make sense? So maybe try to do that. But if it doesn't work, that's okay too. There's no rule saying it has to be an attention getting start. Prepare well, do your part, and then trust the results to him. A lot of times with our students, when they teach, I ask them to give me their notes typed a week before they speak. Because I don't want them an hour before our meeting going, Ah, I know there's a verse that says God so loved the world, but where is it? <laughs> okay? <laughs> I want them to be diligent and to give themselves wholly to this. And to be ready. And then I can review their notes and say, Oh, wow, you got four points in, like, one paragraph. <laughs> you need to work more on this, you know? Oh, you don't even have a single verse. You kind of need to work that out a little bit, right? Okay, going on. Be clear, well thought through, and prayed through. If you're preparing in advance, like I just talked about, and you're preparing well to the best of your ability, sometimes that won't be possible. The talk I'm going to share with you guys tomorrow morning, I haven't really started on. I have, but it's a talk that I've been scared to do for like two months. So it'll be one of the fears I'm crushing, okay? Uh, and so I've been thinking a lot about it, but I haven't got it all out. I wish I had. It's just been hard with the schedule to do that. Instead, every day we're trying to flex with snow and figure out what activities are going to happen. Okay? But do your best to prepare ahead of time, and then you have time to think and pray and let God work that stuff out in you. Right? You have time to be thinking, God, do you want me to change anything? God, is this really what you want to share? When I, when I spoke at First Baptist about a month ago, I had the notes prepared in advance. And God changed those. Like Tuesday before, clear as day. I'm as clear on that as I've ever been on anything in my life. But see, I, was pre I prepared those. I wasn't stressing out. And I was going to Him and trusting Him and letting Him guide me. Okay? We should all do the same. Prepare ahead of time so that God can guide you. When you prepare, try to put it into a three-point outline. That's what a lot of people say. Today's message was not a three-point outline. Okay? So that might not always happen, but especially as you're getting started, it will help you be very clear with who you're sharing with. Right? And maybe as you grow and learn to teach, maybe you can develop some of your own style. Okay? But try that to start. Avoid annoying actions and words. I used to say, um, 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 a lot. And I got so sick of it, I also do this. When any of our students speak, before I'll put it online, I make them edit their talk. Because they'll count their 47 ums and realize how annoying it was <laughs> to the people that were listening. Because when you're speaking, you don't get it. So I'd encourage you to edit some of your talks and just see what you're saying that's annoying. I quit saying um, and then I realized I kept saying right, right. After every sentence, I'd say right. God wants us to grow in word. Right. First Timothy says this, right? We're supposed to do that, right? And then I realized, okay, I'm not saying um, but that's just as annoying. I'm saying right. So I started writing on my notes, no, or I'd put right, um, uh, like, and I'd just cross them all out. And I'd do it down the side of every page of my notes so that as I was speaking, I was constantly aware. Be careful, mate. Don't. See, I wanted to be diligent with this. I want to give myself hokey to this. I don't want to just fly by the seat of my pants and hope God changes somebody's heart. I want to do everything I can to make sure that God can use me and change somebody's heart. Not because of me, but because of Him. I want to do my part and then trust Him to do His part, right? Do a figure eight, kind of. You can kind of do a figure eight throughout the room, right? Um, if I just like stare at Travis for 45 minutes. Creep him out, right? You can say, that is weird. So don't just stare at one person the whole time. Sometimes I'm that person in the audience when somebody's speaking, 
and they don't know this yet, and they're just like zoomed in on me because I'm trying to, I'm trying to help them out, like give them some attention, you know. I'm trying to pay attention, and they just they see that, and they just kind of like zoom in, <laughs> they start talking, and I kind of like look away, try to break eye contact to force them to break eye contact. So don't do that. Do a figure eight. Try and try and look at anybody that's connecting with you. Okay. Preach for a verdict. When you guys share, don't just share hoping that, oh, I hope this is decent. You want to be challenging that person to make a decision today and to walk away from here with a decision. Something that they decided. So preach for a verdict. Give them application points. Give them a way to apply this. And then make sure to remind them to apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your talk is no good if you're telling them, you better get out and share your faith without telling them, who to rely on when they get out and share their faith. So give them application points and then encourage them to apply it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and then come up with a strong closing. Hopefully a memorable closing. Hopefully something that's going to drive the point home. Remember when I did the intro at the beginning of the week? I wanted you guys to take this issue that you wrote on a paper and burn it. I wanted you to do something that you'd remember. God, I gave that to you. Does that make sense? I want, and when I, when I try to close the talk, and when you do, try to do something in a way that will help them know what you're talking about and remember your application. Okay, here's where I end. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So ultimately, the main deal here is if you want to be teaching God's Word, guys, love your Savior more than ever before. Because you won't be able to help but talk about Him. You won't be able to stop talking about Him. Teaching will not be an event that happens occasionally, but it will be a lifestyle. Where every day I'm looking for opportunities to teach. In other words, I'm looking for opportunities to share God's word with somebody that desperately needs to hear it. Right? So love God more than ever before, and then out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. Right? The need has never been greater, like I told you guys before. And you guys are the generation that's going to do great things for God. I'm convinced of that. So step up to the plate. Take the challenge and be willing to teach others to follow God. So here's the challenge. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So you're not going to be scared. You're going to be strong and self-discipline and do this thing. We want you to put together a 10-minute lesson on an attribute of God's character. A lot of you have written down your characteristics that you want to study. Some of you have not. If you haven't yet, write one down. Or talk to us if you don't have one, and we'll help you figure that out, right? So find some attribute of God, like his love, his grace, his justness, his kindness, his creativity, I don't know, his faithfulness. And then study that out, okay? You might need to use some tools. You will need to use some tools, unless you have the whole Bible committed to memory. You might need to use a concordance to find certain scriptures that talk about certain things. If you're doing it on faith, you might look in a concordance and find faith. And what are the verses that talk about faith? My phone, Aaron's phone, probably some other staff phones have concordances on them that you could use if you need to. Yours might as well. I don't know if you guys have a, a Bible on your phone. Um, you might need other resources as well. Commentaries. I don't know what access you have to that here. Right? Pray as you get started. And ask God to lead you and guide you as you teach. Ask Him to help you put this together. And He will. If any of you lacks wisdom, he'll give it to you if you ask. James 1.5 tells us that. So ask God to give you wisdom about what you're preparing. Right? Use the tools that you need to, and then just get started. That's what we're going to do right now. You guys ready for this? Do you have a question, Alex? But when God was giving that 